Hey, everybody. Welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo. I'm your host. I'm Father John. I'm the executive director at Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming the church. And once again, this week, we're down a member. It's just you and me, Mary. How you doing? It's just us. I'm doing great, Father. Just us chickens. I think Nick still works here. I'm just not sure, right? <laughs> How you doing, bro? Wherever you are, we love you and we miss you. And in fact, um, we're really going to talk, uh, we want to unpack something that Nick shared with us in coming back from some of his work uh, not too long ago in an undisclosed diocese <laughs> in an underground bunker. Uh, but what's our topic today, Mary? Yeah, Father John. So our topic today is the method of the master. Ooh, with so, a huge footnote to uh, Curtis Martin, right? That's right. It's a biblical model. So um, we want to unpack that. But before we dive in, Father, um, as always, let's open up with prayer. Indeed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we continue to thank you for the grace of being alive right now and for the fact that your spirit is so powerfully at work trying to uh, exploit the gifts that you've given to us, both the natural ones and the supernatural ones. Remind us again and again that we're not alive by chance, that everything is in your hands, that there's no need to fear, and help us to be attentive to those things that you're asking us to be first and then to do. So we pray for your anointing on our conversation right now upon the ears of all our brothers and sisters who are joining us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, Amen. Thanks, Father. Yeah, so Nick was gone, right? And, uh, and gone again. But he, um, he shared with us when he came back from uh, working, him and Deacon Steve were spending some time working with... Uh, uh, a diocese uh, not here where we live, and they came back and they shared this insight. They were trying to unpack the experience, right? Right. And so he draws this simple little stick figure diagram. He's not Van Gogh on our whiteboard, and he was trying to communicate to us um, what makes some of our work, if you will, different than some of the other things. So Nick's been coaching and consulting and doing things the last number of years with pastors and with dioceses. And he said, something hit me about how different what we do is. And so the diagram was just, he was trying to say, in consulting or coaching, what you usually see is you see the the people that you're working with, they're sitting around a table. And so he draws a table with all the little figures at the table. He says, and he, as the coach or the consultant, he's standing apart from the table, kind of looking down at the table, not in a judgmental way, but he's not with them, he's facilitating their conversation. Right. He said, it hit me that what, what we've been doing, what we do, what's at the really at the essence of what we do when we try to do team building, we were at the table with them. So we weren't standing apart from, we were a part of. And I mean, it's impossible for me to describe like the light bulb that went off just seeing this really like third grade drawing on our whiteboard, which is better than my kindergarten drawing that we're at the table, and that's one of the things that actually makes what we do so unique. We want to unpack that. but Yeah, I, I, so um, I think the reason that settled on us so easily, there's something about, there's something about that human um, component. Even, e- even when you're doing executive coaching or mentoring or whatever you want to call it, but we've struggled for a time, Father, um, around the, using the word coaching, right? Uh, because it it does. Well, first of all, it's not a biblical term. Second of all, 
what we do when we go into dioceses uh, to start working with bishops and their teams, that doesn't feel like what we're doing. Yes, we, we really still haven't even landed on a word yet, right. but we want to try to unpack that experience, and we want to try to apply it to where we are right now and to offer some really concrete suggestions that we can do that we think flow from this. So the point here, just to be clear, it's not about what makes us unique. We're actually not looking for more business. Uh, the point is, we think this insight that he drew on the board and that we've been unpacking now for the last two weeks or so, this is massive for one of the biggest problems in parish life, in priestly life, in the life of those who serve in a parish and for those who are served in a parish. In short, I, I might say this, I don't think people know each other, at least the priest and the people, um, and you can't love what you don't know. Right? And this is going to make us, if we can find a way to do this, to grow in this, to grow in knowledge of one another, to grow in intimacy with one another, to grow in, uh, in genuine, authentic human relationships with one another, it'll jump out at people. This is what the, this is what the pagans said about the early church, right? Like, look how they love yeah. one another. Yeah, just this remarkable witness. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's often said about most parishes uh, from right. people on the outside, right? So when Nick was unpacking that diagram for us, the Holy Spirit laid a passage from 1 Thessalonians 2.8. And, oh, yeah, almost immediately. Yeah, so beautiful. And, and, and so Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, and here's the line, but also our own selves. Yep. That, because, that's, yeah, because you've been so because you had been so very dear to us. Yeah, so just right. hear that again, right? We, did, we, we desired not only to share the gospel, we wanted to share ourselves. That says everything. It says everything about Paul, and it says everything we think about trying to find ways to do that now in a parish context in the church. Because we would suggest our experience recently of what God has called us to for those that we serve, this is a key piece of the mm -hmm. way forward in bringing transformation in the church. You know, Father, as, I, as I'm just thinking about the words from Paul, just that, you know, the line, you know, sharing our very selves, that implies something. Hmm. Um, that implies a very a particular vulnerability, um, which opens yourself up to being woundable. Yeah, and, that's what and, the and, word means, right? Yeah, I mean, that, um, so, so to be vulnerable with someone is to hold nothing back, to be fully human hmm. With, with the folks that you're with, and as you were saying earlier, Father, in the conversation, it's to be one among, mm. not one <laughs> apart, and it's this total investment of ourselves. Yeah, I'm thinking even as you say that of uh, when I was in seminary, uh, Father David Donovan, who was uh, my spiritual director, a great friend, I remember him asking me one time, he just said, John, are you a part of the community, or mm. are you apart from it? And I've never, obviously, I've never forgotten that. That was 30 years ago. And... Uh, that's a stinging uh, expression question to think about. Am, am I aloof from people? You know, and, and here's the honest reality. A lot of us, because of our insecurities, our fears, um, our, our awareness of our own inadequacies, shortcomings, whatever, we are oftentimes aloof from, apart from, simply because it's risky to be known, right? So again, this insight is huge, in bringing transformation in the church. And simply put, we're just not set up right now 
in such a way that we can, using Nick's little stick figure drawing, get all around the table mm. and share ourselves. And so the parish, the church, which is supposed to be a family, last week we talked about how we're supposed to be a sign and an instrument of mm -hmm. unity. Oftentimes we look more like a business, and not just a business, but oftentimes a dysfunctional business. And, and maybe in another way we could say, we just don't look very human, or at least right. not authentically human. Right. You know, Father John, when you and I were serving at a parish, um, we would say over and over again, and we've seen it even more so now that we've been on mission here in Acts 29, that parish life is broken. Why? Oh, gosh. Let me count the ways. One of the, one of, one among many reasons is because it's too big unless some things change, at least in some places. Mm. But, and, and so having said that, we wrote a white paper about a year ago and we advocated for like these larger parishes of excellence. And so we, we, we want to make the point that, that. Yeah. Cause it sounds like we're talking out of both sides of our right. mouth, right? And we're actually we wanna, not. So that one of the ideas behind the bigger parishes is if we have bigger, you can't do this in every diocese. We know that. I and mean, some we can, if you have fewer and larger parishes, presumably you have more priests, you have more deacons, you have better compensated staff, and you can really go after uh, not only with uh, time, but with resources, both financial and other, to give the people in the pews the best of care. And so it, I don't think it is talking out of both sides of our mouths. Um, we have to find a way, we, we almost entitled this episode, we got to get small, right? And what we mean by that is we have to to find a way to be able to get intimate with one another, to be around, quote unquote, the table and to know each other. Right, right. So what we just described, I mean, what, what Paul writes about, not just in First Thessalonians, but in almost everything, right? That can't happen in most parishes. Like, I can't, as a pastor, I can't share myself with the community in the way that Paul's talking about there. Because speaking from, again, the pastor's perspective, usually, right, there's too many people to care for. There's too many fires raging. There's too many urgent things crowding out the important. We're too busy playing whack-a-mole. So I've said before, you know, like when I took some time off from the parish before we started doing our work here in Acts 29, after like two weeks of being away from the parish, I remember saying to you and to your husband, Steve, right. we were together— I just feel like I'm in PTSD. Like I'm beginning to feel again. I'm beginning to to get used to not having my head on a swivel because I was trying to care for 10, 12,000 people and I didn't realize just what an impact it was having on me. And that's normative for so many guys and they don't know right. it till they step away from it. Right. Now, but Father, like, like, like to be clear, like, like we don't want to be like so naive as to think that a pastor is ever going to be able to know everyone and to be known by everyone. Like, that's just not realistic. Yeah, that's and not like, even an aspirational like, goal. Right. <laughs> but everyone needs to be known by and know others in the parish or else it's simply not a family. Hmm. And that's the desire, right? We talk about that all the time. It's the desire of every human being to be known, to be loved, to be seen, and to feel like they matter. Um, and I, um, we, we've talked about uh, Pastor Rick Warren before, and he had this great quote when he said, um, and they, because they have a massive place. Yeah, Saddleback out in California. Right, and, and he, said, he, he said, nobody wants to belong to a big church. 
And why is that? Well, it's what we just said. Everybody wants to be known. And of course, the problem is when a church starts doing this well, right? When they start becoming a family, they're they necessarily going to grow. That's, That's right. a great problem to out. have. That's, That's right. right. Word gets out. So we simply have to find ways to get small. And, yeah. and so there's ways to do that, right? We're going to, can you just lead yeah. us through some so thoughts? Maybe I can offer four that, uh, that we've been thinking about here, right? So one has to do with what we call our second essential principle for transformation of the church. So we're big on what we feel like the Lord's showed us. Uh, a way to bring transformation in the church are to really implement these three essential principles, which we would argue when they're done together, they create an alloy, which is to say something new, and we think they always work. So the first one is reacquiring a biblical worldview. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. The third one is uh, what we call God is the architect, and we've talked about that before, the primacy of prayer. The second one is what we call it's not enough to be a staff. We have to move to becoming a, a team, and then more than a team, we have to move to becoming a family. So there is... There's a lot of talk right now in the church, especially thanks to uh, like the great work of Amazing Parish, um, Catholic Leadership Institute, uh, Pat Lencioni's phenomenal work with the Table Group in a more secular and a dear setting. Yep. You know, there's a lot of talk about getting organizationally healthy. We can't advocate that enough. It right. is a great stuff. But we would say that the goal isn't simply to become a team, at least not in a parish context. Quite simply because, as you mentioned earlier, uh, with regards to coach, coach isn't a biblical term. Team isn't a biblical term. Family is. And you mentioned earlier, the key in all this is learning to be vulnerable with each other and getting to know each other. And so you and Nick and Steve and I, we were talking the other day, you know, I think if we're honest about ourselves and just our own human development Mm -hmm. growing up... Mm -hmm. We, we, we rightly walk around with kind of walls up, right, or masks up or facades because it, it's just not prudent to let everybody in on everything that's going on inside your mind, right? So it, and it's risky to right. let people in, right? But we all long, as you mentioned earlier, both to be known and loved and to know and to love. And I don't want to be known and loved for who I appear to be. We want to be known and loved for who we really are. We yeah, don't want to have to live exactly. in this self-protection mode. But what happens when we meet certain people? Yeah, so at least for me, right, you just make this really, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like you, you make this assessment that it might be worth dropping the wall and let you have a peek into what's inside my mind and my heart. And again, that's a risk, right? And if it's received well, I don't know about you, but for me, I mean, if it's received well, then I just like drop the whole wall and I want to know like, okay, right. do, you, do you accept all of me? Right. So this changes everything when it takes place in a parish staff. You and I were witnesses to that. It was remarkable. And there's so much more we could say about this. We'll, we'll, we'll devote a whole other episode or other episodes to how to do this. Uh, again, we really, really highly encourage uh, the awesome work of Amazing Parish, and can't recommend enough that people read uh, Pat Lencioni's uh, The Advantage, which was an absolute game changer for me. So that's one idea. Move from being a staff to a team to a family. In doing so, we get to know each other as we really are. A second idea, uh, so I call this the Jethro principle, <laughs> right? So remember uh, Exodus 18 
describes this encounter that uh, Moses has with his father-in-law, Jethro. And the easy way, this is the way I sum up that, uh, that passage. Jethro says to Moses, uh, you, sir, are a moron, <laughs> right? So why, why is he a moron? Because Moses is spending all day long basically settling every issue amongst the Israelites, and there's thousands of them. Right. And so Moses is, uh, is getting exhausted, right? And what's happened to the people? Right, so the people are getting uh, angry and frustrated, and um, Moses was on a pathway to PTSD. <laughs> yeah, he was, absolutely. <laughs> so what's Jethro do? So he advises Moses to share that leadership responsibility with some trusted people who have the necessary gifting or charisms to come alongside him. Ah, and here's the key, right? There are people in every parish who have the charism of pastoring, and they're not priests, right? So priests, or rather I should say, all pastors are not priests. And in fact, I would argue, mm. no matter the title, all priests aren't pastors. May not have that gifting. Right? Like, right. I don't think that's one of my charisms, quite honestly. I think I have other charisms. But I had the title of pastor. But there are people in every parish who have the charism to pastor and we have to find ways for them to get to work, right? right? And we were talking about doing something at the parish where you and I served most recently, if we had had longer time to stay, to try to almost like do a beta test of that. Remember that? Right. We were going to like um, try to um, build smaller communities within a larger parish. So a parish is supposed to be a community of communities. So we were trying to figure out like what that workable size might be. And we finally settled on anywhere between like 50 and a hundred people where, where we would like bring everybody together regularly for like fellowship, a time of prayer, meal, um, a teaching, and then some apostolic work. So let me just stop you right there. Yeah. So just so people understand. So we wouldn't bring them together. We would actually encourage them to get together without me. Right. Right. So, so imagine like you're seeing a diagram of the parish, and so say the parish is a is a, a whiteboard, right? That, and the whiteboard is the entire parish. On that whiteboard are 10, 12, 20 smaller Clusters. communities mm-hmm. of these, as you mentioned, 50 to 100 people, all who are pastored, pastored. by, not me, right? Someone who has the gift of of pastoring. And and to be clear, we, we just want to make the distinction. These aren't your typical small groups or your discipleship groups or your connect groups. This is a much larger community. And and of course, we recognize that as we were you know, thinking about this, that there would be times that issues would come up in these communities that maybe uh, the layperson leading this community wouldn't be equipped to handle everything that came up. Right. So just like the Jethro principle, Jethro says, hey, let Find, you know, wise men. He would have said women too, but he didn't in the scriptures. So find wise men and women who can handle the day-to-day stuff and the really big things, you take care of Moses. And so for us in a parish setting, we'd say, hey, let these people take care of those, you know, day-to-day kinds of things. But here's a big edge or a big advantage. They can bring to the attention of the priests things that otherwise the priest would never know. Never be like, aware. hey, Padre, like Mrs. Smith just got diagnosed with leukemia. And I can tell you, like, this is an all-too-common reality in a big parish. You got people who, they get sick, because we get sick. They're suffering from various things, 
could be anything from anxiety to depression to cancer. Right. But oftentimes, because we're so big, I don't know, unless someone brings it to my attention. And you're the, engaged in so many other activities. Yeah, How the, could you know? So the person goes uncared so for, right? Which, which if I'm that person getting uncared for, I'm led to believe, well, I guess it don't matter here. And maybe I leave the parish and, you know, like I am guilty as charged of doing that because the the places where I've served anyway have been so big and we didn't think about, almost didn't have time to think about ways to get smaller. That's why we're putting some of these things right. out right now, huh? Right. Might offer a third uh, idea, another way to get small, if you will. I remember sitting in on a gathering of priests we were all about to be named pastor for the first time. And there was a, an older wise guy here in the Archdiocese of Detroit who shared with us something that he began doing as a pastor and then advocated it. And I've done it twice as a pastor in two different parishes. And I've tried to tell every guy I know about this. It was a really simple idea. He just said, guys, when you move to the parish, like from day one, just start, you know, put in your bulletin article, put on your Facebook page, preach from the pulpit, every way you can communicate. Just say, you know what? I'm brand new here. I want to get to know as many of you as I can. So what I'm doing, I'm going to block out, usually we move July, right? I'm going to block out July 1 till say end of August, end of September. And I'm just going to set aside four to five hours a day. And I'm going to invite you to come in and spend a half hour with me. So I can get to know as many of you as possible. That's brilliant. And so he said, just keep a binder and put a, put a sheet of paper in the binder. And it's got, you know, like name. And then he had a series of questions. You know, like, you know, what's your name? <laughs> Hello. Um, how long have you been a member of the parish? Uh, what have you been involved in in the parish? Do you find the parish friendly? Uh, if you could change one thing, what would it be? Uh, is there anything in particular you want to ask me? And then he would say, you know, I'd encourage you to come up with a question that's particular to what you're doing. So I did this, and I have I have binders of the two parishes where I was blessed to be able to serve as pastor. Just doing this, I can tell you. Massive. Oh, it it bears so much fruit, right? There's so many things to glean from this. So one is uh, I get to meet people. Right. Two, they get to meet me. They learn that the pastor's approachable. Mm -hmm. which is not a given, right? People um, talk. Word gets around. <laughs> yeah, word gets out, right? Like, <laughs> hey, you met with Father. Like, is he a jerk? You know, like, no, is he What's okay? He like? Is he nice? What do you ask you? What'd you tell him? Yeah. So people start to talk. You get positive, you know, uh, gossip, if right. you will. Good oh, it's news. It's not gossip, right? Yeah, yeah spread good, good rumors. rumors. Yeah, exactly. And he says, you know, like, the advantage of this is you get to the end of that three, four-month period of sitting down with everybody, and you can say to the parish as a whole, hey, I've been spending the last 12, 16 weeks listening to you. This is what I'm hearing from you. It's almost like Jesus in the letters to Revelation. Like, what you guys have told me is we do this really, really well. Mm. And this one here, we're kind of struggling with. And now it's not your own judgment on the family from outside. You're just relaying to them what it is that you've heard. Just a valuable, valuable thing yeah. to do. If you're a new pastor, I don't care if you're an old pastor, if you've never done it, I'd do it now. <laughs> you know, it'd be one of the things I'd consider finding a way to do. So simple and so profitable, so fruitful. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe a last idea, huh, is this. Um, and this is really where the title comes from. I would, if I was a pastor now, 
I think I would do exactly what you said the title of this episode is. I would try to implement the method of the master, which, as we mentioned, we just stole from Curtis Martin. Who stole it from sacred scripture, so we figured we could, too. Yeah, so <laughs> Curtis, uh, you know, who's the founder of Focus, uh, one of the greatest um, apostolates on college campuses and in the country right now that we know of, Fellowship of Catholic University Students. So Curtis was given a talk not too long ago, and he just talked about uh, this is how I remember him saying it. So what was Jesus's strategy for evangelizing the world, or for winning the world back, I should say, leaving to the side his death and resurrection, which is a huge part of this, right? And he says he went camping for three years with 12 guys. Right. In other words, as he says, he invested deeply in a few. He spent scandalous amounts of time with 12 guys. And I remember hearing him say that. And then he demonstrated it on stage right, with I the impact that this can have. Mm -hmm. And I remember as soon as I heard him say that, I thought, oh my gosh, I am so convicted right now. I have spent 20 some years of my life as a priest doing the exact opposite. Investing in many and not having the ability yeah, to I, go deep. I've invested shallowly, right, is how shed, I'd say right. it, in a lot. Right. And so if I was a pastor again, without neglecting all the other things that a pastor has to do, I would ask the Lord, Lord, show me 10 guys, 12 guys that I can spend a scandalous amount of time with, that I can pour into, that I can disciple, um, that I can waste time with to raise up more leaders so that they can catch from me, despite like all my abundant weaknesses and shortcomings and sins. They can catch from me some things. I can be, in essence, Paul to them if they're Timothy, just as someone was Paul to me as a Timothy. And then we can pour into them and equip them to do the same with others. And what you do is then you gradually begin to spiritually multiply, multiply. and make more disciples who can go out and accomplish God's desire, which is get it, to get his world back. And I would suggest right now so the pandemic that we're in and all the craziness and the decision fatigue that we're going through, this is both a, a bad and a good time to consider doing something like this. So there's so many things that we're trying to do to maintain safety and to figure out how to ways to open up. But I'd encourage any priest to use this time right now, among other things, to just say, Lord, show me 8, 10, 12 guys, 12 max who you're inviting me to gather together and to walk with in friendship, to pour into. N not that we're Jesus. We're not, I ain't Jesus, right? But guys that I can go deeply with and I can imitate the method of the master. And in doing so, I can, as a man, be generative, which is key for a guy, right? That's what a father is. A father is generative. I can be life-giving to guys. I can be vulnerable with them. I can walk with them. I can know them. They can know me. They can grow to know each other. Increasingly important in a culture, which as you mentioned earlier, despite all our talk of friendship, we have less and less real right. friendship, especially amongst men. And then they can learn how to do that with other guys. If we can do some of these things right now, this would be massive. We're finding ways to go back to, to Nick's image at the very beginning of getting around the table with people. That's right. So it, it enables us to be human with each other. Yeah. And it allows for, even though you start small, 
the potential for spiritual multiplication in a model like this is massive over right. years. So the video, so Curtis gives the talk at what's called the SEEK conference, S-E-E-K, which is one of Focus's big conferences. And I think it, it, this was at San Antonio, correct me if I'm wrong, and I think it was 2018. Do you think that's right? I can't remember for sure, but I remember the, the young woman that he brought on stage. She was from Kansas University. She was. So pick a search engine that you like, a search engine that you like, and just search, what is it, Curtis Martin? Seek conference, maybe spiritual multiplication. Yeah, or Method of the Master. And I think it's San Antonio, and I think it's 2018. It's, it's like 20 minutes long. I can't encourage people enough to watch it. And there's so much more we could say about this topic right now, but I think it's probably best we just end it with that. huh? So principle, we have to find ways to be genuinely human with each other. Right. And the tragedy in the parish, that rarely happens. Right. And people want to be a part of a family. And a, a priest, he wants to be a father. I don't want to just be called father. I want to be a father, right? Which means mm. I want my children to know me and I want to know my children best I can. So these are some ways, they're not the only ways, but there's some ways that we can apply this principle to parish life right now. Or maybe next time we maybe we can talk about some of the the challenges and the obstacles that are there for right. a priest in doing this. I, I can share at least my own experience and the experience of so many priests that we know I just want to say one thing too before we close. You know, this you know we're talking about the crisis of friendship, you know, in the culture and this rich, authentic friendship, and in the process of becoming real and honest and vulnerable and human with one another, we all get healed. Mm. And there's a massive need in the culture and in our families and in our parishes to be instruments of healing. And this is a great way to begin that healing, I would argue. Yeah, no, and here, here's, a, here's my, and my final, final point. Uh, <laughs> I'll say this. So it's just coming to mind as you're saying that. So maybe you're listening and, uh, and you're not a pastor, you're not a priest, and you don't work at a parish staff and you're wondering what you can do. I know I've seen you do this recently with some folks. This is a great time. If you're experiencing a desire for more, like, man, I just, I want to be known and I want to know and I want to be loved and I want to love. Then do something similar to what we encourage the pastor to do. You, you know, maybe it's you, you alone. Maybe it's you and your husband or you and your wife. Ask the Lord, Lord, who are three, four, five other individuals, couples right. that you're calling us to walk with right now and to pour into and just to, as you often say, do life right. with. You know, that we can get together for a meal Maybe we can do some scripture together. Maybe we just talk about, you know, the joys and the struggles of our lives. We can pray for one another. We can hang out with each other because I don't know about you, but we're going to need each other more and more Couldn't in the times more. ahead. Couldn't agree more, Father. So authentic friendship is going to be at a premium. And that's what we're supposed to be for one another Amen. as disciples of Jesus. In the meantime, he who is the greatest of friends is the one who calls us friends. And he's the one who's created us to be alive right now. So do not be afraid. He's with you. And you were born for this. <laughs>